You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Massive Late Fee, the official entertainment podcast of Michigan Sports and Entertainment. I am your host, Mark. With me, as always, is my co-host, Mike. How you doing, Mike? Not too bad. Yourself? Good. We've had a, a another good week. Uh, we've got some news. We've got uh, Archie versus the Predator to finish. We're going to talk about uh, the rest of Kevin Smith's films. Uh, first, though, I'd like to mention to all of our listeners that we have a uh, giveaway going on right now, a contest. Um, we're giving away a $100 Amazon gift card to one lucky winter winner on uh, January 10th of 2019. You can enter now. There's a bunch of different ways to enter, following us, writing a review of the show, which helps us out, um, liking us on Facebook, uh, stuff like that following us on Twitter. Um, so if you want to do that, you know, you can check out our Twitter page at Massive Late Fee and find the information there, and we will announce the winner uh, on our show that comes out the week of January 10th. I think it's the 12th that, I don't know, or the 13th or 14th, something like that. Um, but we will... Woohoo! Uh, Battle of the Bradyacks! <laughs> we'll uh, give you those details as we uh, as we go forward. Um but uh yeah so uh you know everything else uh how was your week mike good yeah it's pretty good um let's see i know i watched something uh that i wanted to talk about but i completely forgot what it was uh so back to you mark okay <laughs> well um yeah we'll uh i'm gonna start with the news and then we'll do the uh what we're watching and hopefully you might be able to remember it in uh the interim but uh the first piece of news today uh this came out around I think it was Saturday, maybe, uh, last week. Uh, Apparently, Keanu Reeves is going to appear in Toy Story 4. Uh, We're not sure what his role is going to be, but apparently he has some scenes with uh, Tim Allen. That that news came out on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, which I don't watch because, you know... Because uh, Jimmy Fallon is terrible. (laughs) Yeah, because we have IQs higher than 50 but um uh anyway so i I saw it online uh like with all the news i see but um apparently he he uh he let the cat out of the bag there and uh, he's got some scenes with with tim allen i know that your kids are not huge into pixar movies mine mine are um and we were gonna see toy story 4 anyway but this has me pretty excited actually about uh toy story 4 do you think this will tip the scales for you to see this movie now uh, i'm a huge counter reese fan but uh no i'm still not gonna go see this one <laughs> though when it comes out i might uh, happen to acquire a copy perhaps oh yeah if only there was a way to get a copy somewhere but uh, I wonder what he. I heard him. I was reading a little bit about it. I thought it said he's going to be kind of similar to uh, Tim Allen's uh, character. Yeah, I guess he's supposed to be a little Buzz Lightyear like. I, I don't. I can't see him being. You know, because they have other Buzz Lightyears, obviously, because there's multiples of of all these toys. The whole Toy Story universe is uh, is weird and interesting. The logic of these things is mind boggling. But. Um, 
I can't I can't imagine him voicing like another one of those. I don't know if he's going to be a more updated version of Buzz Lightyear, like uh, you know a different character, but in the same vein. Yeah, I, th- I think he said he's going to be like a smaller version, whatever that means. So maybe as like a sidekick or something. He's going to be like a keychain. Uh, I guess I don't really know the scale of these things. I've seen parts of the movies. I, I don't really care for them. Oh really? I like I like the Toy yeah. Story movies. I wonder if uh, Keanu Reeves' uh, character is going to smell sell uh, small bags of powder to the other toys uh, to emulate <laughs> Tim Allen in real life, or the Candyman as they used to call him. If he does, then you know that uh, Tim Allen is going to rat him out to uh, to shorten his sentence. Yeah, probably. Oh, uh, yeah. For those of you that don't know, uh, Tim Allen was facing life imprisonment for a cocaine bust and uh, in the 70s. And uh, he ratted out a bunch of the dealers above him. And I think he got a, a year, uh, just one, a one year sentence. years, I think. Yeah. Yeah, not, not long. But he clearly... Thankfully, he got out so we could see home improvement. <laughs> right. Oh, God, yeah. What... Did he do more damage not selling drugs anymore? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. That is a good question. But uh, the other thing that broke sort of on the same day, uh, thinking of, speaking of things that do damage, um, there was a poll uh, as to what um, what people wanted to see rebooted. And... Back to the Future won the poll, and then the internet and Twitter completely freaked out about, you know, don't do this, you can't do this. I actually asked uh, this question that I'm going to ask you uh, online, and it got, uh, we got on the Weekly Planet podcast uh, once again uh, with this question. But uh, the question that I asked, and I'm wondering, is there... Are there movies that are too sacred or whatever adjective you want to use to reboot? Are there there are movies that you just could never reboot? Um, I would say no, and the reason for that is because, uh, well, maybe not Birth of a Nation. <laughs> yeah. Um, the reason the reason for that is that uh, people who make movies are not the same people who like or appreciate movies. I mean, yeah, they might pay some service to them, but. Hollywood is just basically an elaborate banking system that turns, you know, a product out for a profit, as you can see by Toy Story 4. And we cover Four. it. Yes. <laughs> We're not part of the system. No, that's right. That's why we will never interview anybody. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the only people who really seem to even enjoy movies uh, that I can think of are Kevin Smith and um, Quentin Tarantino. You know, they clearly enjoy, you know, film itself. Oh, for sure. Yeah, uh, Martin Scor- Martin Scorsese too. He's he's a really you know film big film buff. Yeah, Steven Spielberg used to. Yeah, he uh, he's pretty awful. I don't like his movies. <laughs> you can see in a lot of his early movies that he really appreciated Hitchcock and and was hugely influenced by him. But yeah, I, I agree. There's uh, you know there's not well there's not a lot of auteurs out there anymore that uh, that wave has kind of died down uh, a lot that started in the seventies with. Um, Scorsese and some of those guys, but uh, yeah, it's it's much more corporate now. Everything's kind of on a machine. Yeah, if they could uh, find a way to uh, make a profit uh, rebooting Schindler's List with uh, Seth Rogen as Oscar Schindler, it would be out in theaters next year. <laughs> oh god! And I'd probably go see it. I would see it. If hey Hollywood, if you're listening, you you you, <laughs> Arabist bastards, uh, make that make Schindler's List 
with uh, Seth Rogen, and I, I will see it. And uh, let um, James Franco be uh, uh, Ray Fiennes' character, the uh, the Nazi that... Um, <laughs> Anand Goth, I think? Mm-hmm. Something like that? Yeah. But, uh, you know, like I was thinking like Citizen Kane, Casablanca... Um, but yeah, I guess you're right. I suppose if they could remake Casablanca and they thought people would go see it, they would. I think a lot of times the reason that people that they don't remake movies like that is because they're from a different era, and I don't think uh, like I don't think Casablanca would be a super popular movie now. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. That or I mean, what's you know groundbreaking in Citizen Kane is uh, an episode of uh, Two Guys a Girl in a Pizza Place. 10 years ago at this point. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was super, you know, super amazing at the time, but it's it's not really... I mean, if you're what a lot of, you know, the the uh, love for that movie is just how it, like, broke ground and, you know, all these new inventive things and obviously, you know, um, what's his name? Orson, Orson Welles was a, uh, you know, an amazing filmmaker. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not, it's not really going to, you know, hold its water these days. Yeah, they did the... the... The technical achievements of that movie are amazing. I like the story too, actually. I, I think the story is uh, is very interesting. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a scene where the camera pans uh, through, like, over a sign and through a glass ceiling, then down into um, into the room to you know see two people talking. And I have no fucking clue how they did that in in 1940, 1939. It's insane, but uh, yeah. Um, have you ever seen the movie? Uh, sorry, I was, I was looking it up real quick. That's why I paused there. Uh, RKO one. Yeah, I've seen that with um, Lee Schreiber. Lee Schreiber. Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really interesting movie. I mean, it's it's pretty well acted, but also I think he does kind of delve into that process a bit. They show him like you know just literally like you know using picks to like bust up the floor and that sort of thing. Yep. Oh yeah, and, uh, I, I love that movie. John Malkovich plays Mankovich, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, John Mankiewicz. Yeah. And then, uh, what's the name? The guy from uh, Frasier, Frasier's Dead, John Mahoney, yep, that's perhaps? Right. That's right. Doesn't he play, uh, is it William Faulkner he's playing? Oh, I'm not sure. I don't rem- I don't exactly remember that part. I think it's either Faulkner or a kicker that's obviously a reference to Faulkner. But yeah, that's a. I think it might be an HBO movie. I'm not quite sure. Meg Ryan and James Cromwell are also in it. James Cromwell, I'm, I'm a big fan of his work. Yeah, James Cromwell plays... Uh, um, uh... Hearst. Yeah, Hearst. William Randolph Hearst. Um, yeah, that's that's a very good movie. If anyone hasn't seen uh, RKO two eight one, and it's named after this was an RKO production, it was the two hundred and eighty first movie that they that that uh, film defunct film company produced. Um, and if anyone hasn't seen it, you you should definitely check it out. That's a uh, a very good movie. And Liev Schreiber uh, is outstanding as as Orson Welles. He's. I mean, he, I think he's quite a bit taller than him in real life. He seems like he's a pretty tall as far as for an actor. I mean, physically he doesn't really look like him a lot, but I mean, he definitely has a lot of presence in that movie. Yeah, and he does. He does a I'm good job. Of other stuff that Lee Schreiber's in. Huh? Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I'm trying to think of other stuff that Lee Schreiber's in that I like, and I can't really think of anything aside. From, I mean, he's in the Scream movies, which you know they're hit and miss, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big to... Ray Donovan fan myself. I've never seen it, but. Ray Don, yeah, I haven't seen that one either. I, I'm trying to think of anything. Else. I, I've seen him on TV. It, he's been in a couple TV shows, I think. Oh, I, oh, I didn't know that. Um, he was, uh, he was, he was Sabretooth in one of the Wolverine movies. By that one. That's right. Because you know, I'm a huge fan of not watching comic book movies. I think that was the, um, 
I think that was the uh, X Men Origin Wolverine. Maybe it was, I think it was the bad one. It was the one with um, with uh, the Ryan Reynolds first take of Deadpool, where everything about Deadpool is his snarky attitude, and they decide to sew his mouth shut for the movie. Yeah, yeah, I've seen like clips from that. I think. Gambit was in it as well. I don't know if anybody you know notable was playing him, but I guarantee what he was. In. <laughs> oh yeah, but uh, you know, I hope Leave Leave Schreiber is a good actor. I, I hope that uh, these bad choices uh, don't uh, you know don't mean that his career is dead. Speaking of dead, <laughs> <laughs> sad news today. Uh, that, you know, we, uh, we, well, we didn't break the news, but we reported the news at Michigan Sports and Entertainment. Uh, Steven Hillenberg, uh, who you may, may know or may not know, as the creator of SpongeBob SquarePants, died Monday, actually, but it was announced today he had been battling uh, ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, for, uh, since he, since last March, that's when he announced that he had it. So he passed away and, uh, you know, obviously, uh, that's that's very sad. I know that that SpongeBob is, you know, a big thing for a lot of uh, a lot of kids and a lot of people that smoke pot. Um, so you know, it's a it's definitely. I mean, it, as far as kids shows go, I mean, I never watched it when I was younger. I mean, it's it's one of the most tolerable ones to watch as a parent. Like when my kids are watching, I could definitely get into it. It's. Like The Simpsons, it's a show that, you know, delivers on a, quite a few different levels. You know, there's inside jokes, there's the animation's fun. I mean, it's a good show. I mean, even though I'm not like a huge, you know, cartoon fan, I'm outside of like Futurama or The Simpsons at points, I mean, it's, it's a really good show. Yeah, Futurama's one of the best. But, um, yeah, you know, I, and I read a lot about his life for the article that I wrote for Michigan Sports and Entertainment. It's fa- fascinating. He... Uh, he studied at Humboldt University in California, and he got a degree in, I believe it was marine management or something. Like it's a, marine, marine biology, I think. Yeah, it's it's a marine biology, like the, it's a subsection of marine biology, like a specialization in that in that field. But yeah, it's a, it's a science degree in marine life, basically. And he worked at um, he worked at the uh, Oceanic uh, Institute in California, and he would um, like he'd do the tours and talk to the kids and stuff. He really liked working with kids a lot, and he drew uh, some comics, pamphlets uh, of uh, different animals that different creatures that lived in the tide pools, and that's sort of where he kind of got the idea for SpongeBob. It's he, he seemed like a real fascinating guy he loved loved kids and loved making people happy and uh you know and sharing uh his his uh ideas and and wisdom with them and stuff and and, you know my my kids have watched spongebob off and on as well uh and i agree with you it's uh it's definitely a solid show and and that's you know it's uh it's sad that uh you know when anyone dies but especially someone that you know seemed like he really wanted to put a lot of good into the world yeah, he just seems like somebody who, like, you know, did a great job of living life. I mean, you know, a lot of people just kind of, like, go through life, you know, without really living it. And he seems like he really, you know, did his effort to live life to its fullest, which in itself is an admirable goal. Absolutely. And uh, I think we'd be remiss without mentioning some of the great cameos on SpongeBob uh, SquarePants. There's obviously the uh, Ernest Borgnine, which we mentioned uh, heavily, yep. yet briefly, in our review of Basketball the other day. Yep. Um, the great uh, Charles Nelson Riley was in it. 
Yeah. Also, the, the dirty bubble. Yeah. Also, the late Adam West. Yeah, Adam West. I think uh, Burt Ward, because I mean, what, what's who's going to cast Burt Ward without casting Adam West first? <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, poor Burt Ward. Uh, Johnny Knoxville was on an episode where he played like he, he was a character who was kind of like a stuntman. I mean, there's I'm sure there's tons and tons of cameos in there. Yeah, a lot of people. It, you know, it's a credit to the show. A lot of people wanted to work uh, on the show and work with him. Yeah, you know it's got to be good if it can succeed even with that son of a bitch Bill Faber making in the cast. That's, I mean, that's right. That's right. They infuse their uh, their Nordic uh, ideals on people. They try to. Uh, that's why we have to keep them out of Hollywood and out of any area of influence. I mean, yeah, they host the Nobel Prize, but do you ever hear of them winning any of them? Exactly. Nope. Exactly. Um, there was another celebrity death. I don't know if you're going to mention this one or not. No, I don't know. Who is it? Um, he's kind of, it's, it's a very weird subsect of uh, celebrity culture, but actually it's a, someone I admire quite a bit. Uh, Ricky Jade, the, uh, magician slash actor. Oh, you know what? I did see that. I saw that. Um, I saw that Penn tweeted about that. Yeah, I actually saw, I don't know if that teller did that. So I, uh, knew about it. Um, I didn't see him in a lot. I think he was like, a, I believe he was in a lot of David Lynch films. I could be wrong on that. No, yeah. I um, I was, wasn't sure who, not to interrupt you, but I wasn't, although that's what this podcast is about, but I wasn't, uh, I wasn't sure exactly who he was, but when I saw the picture, I definitely recognized the face. I, I think he's been in a few films. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, actually, you know, I think I got that backwards. I think it's David Mamet movies he's in, because I know he's in the movie Heist with Gene Hackman. Yeah. And as we all know, the, the, the inverse of da- of David Lynch is David Mamet. <laughs> Um, so yeah, there was a, he was in that, and uh, and one of my fa- and again, this reminds me of uh, Charles Johnson Riley, who we just mentioned. Um, one of my favorite episodes of the X Files, and I'm a huge fan of the X Files. Um, mm-hmm. Was uh, he was one of the stars of it? It was called The Amazing Malini. Have you ever seen that one? I don't think I've seen that episode. No, I was kind of off and on with the X Files. Yeah, it's like one of the like one of the monster of the week type type episodes. Uh, basically, the whole premise is that at the very beginning, he's like a down on his uh, luck magician who's practicing magic tricks at the Jersey Shore. I mean, he's like basically being booed and even heckled by like a uh, a rival magician. You know, magicians always have their rivals of sudden. Oh yeah, yeah. You don't want to get in the middle of a magician rumble. Yeah, like uh, even like a uh, Penn and Teller, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, they have like some weird rivalry with uh, David Copperfield and also Chris Angel. <laughs> yeah. like, they're always just rip- ripping on Chris Angel. Yeah. Um, but in it, it's like he plays like a down on his luck magician who's on the like I think it's a Jersey Shore, some you know some seashore, mm-hmm. which never uh, spells good tidings for a magician. Right. Please excuse me, I'm there. And so he performs a trick. He's being heckled, and then like at, then. He goes to pay him, you know, because he performs this amazing trick where he twists his head 360 degrees. Oh, God. And then when they go to the car, he's just decapitated. Like, his head is just off of his shoulders. You know, he's just in the van. Wow. Mulder and Scully come to invest. It's, it's a really, it's actually actually a heist uh, a heist episode in disguise as, like, some weird, like, you know, phenomenon. It's, it's I, I can re- I've rewatched that one many times. It's a really good episode. I'm going to have to check yeah, it out. Yeah, I always liked his... I always liked his deadpan delivery. That's just the way he talks. And I heard at one point he had like an apartment in Vegas, and he just basically had surrounded himself with like encyclopedic lore of magic, and was just like you know archiving it and trying to collect it. And he was like a real, really dedicated to the craft of magic. Which, I mean, nowadays it's not like the most you know you know amazing thing to see you know magic, but I mean it's you know there's an art to it and a history and a lore, and he was you know definitely a big fan of it. 
Yeah, and I love uh, people that take that approach to magic, kind of like Penn and Teller do. Like you know, Penn, because uh, he's the one that talks, but I'm, but I know they both believe this. Mentions all the time about how they don't like how you know way back when <clears throat> people would use magic and they would uh, they would you know they would pretend it was some sort of supernatural phenomena. And, uh, and, you know, they really, they really hate that and they'd use it to, to fool people or to scare people or, or do stuff like that. And, um, you know, their approach to it is more about the craft of it and the art of it, you know, because, you know, it is honestly, you know, obviously it's, it's sleight of hand and technology and, and things like that, you know, all kind of combining together uh, to produce some good magic. And some of the best magic that I've seen is not even you know, the new, like kind of the new stuff uh, on, on their show, Fool Us, there's, and I wish I could remember the guy's name, but I can't, but he does uh, the cups and balls trick, which is obviously a very old trick, but he does it with, uh, with steel, like ball bearing balls. And, uh, you know, it produces sound and everything. And it's, um, it's an amazing, it's a very, it's a very, like visually and auditorily pleasing trick. And it, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. If you look up fool us cups and balls, um, it will come up. And I wish I could remember the guy's name because he's a very, uh, a very talented magician, but yeah, that's, uh, that's sad news as well. Yeah. And another fact about Ricky J is at one point, I don't know if he still has a record. He could throw a playing card. Like he had the record for the distance of throwing a playing card, which is kind of insane. But I've seen like people throw playing cards like they like you know will indent into like watermelons and stuff. It's pretty pretty nuts how that works. Oh yeah, yeah. There's a, a poker player that uh, that used to do that. Chris Ferguson, he'd cut bananas in half and stuff like that. With oh, okay, yeah, I, w- I would have guessed it was uh, Antonio S S Fernandi. Antonio Antonio Esfandiari. There you who actually like did work as a magician at some point, but yeah, Chris Ferguson doesn't. He's a he's an interesting guy too, Chris Ferguson. Like his background, he's got like a PhD in computer science. His yep. father was one of the inventors of game theory. Yeah, interesting, just interesting. All. Yeah, his father is like a well known professor, and uh, yeah, the, the, we might have a episode about uh, I don't know poker players or something at one point. Who knows? We'll see what people uh, want to do. But we could uh, we could review rounders maybe. Oh yeah, we could. Yeah, that's true. If we review, if we ever review rounders, we could talk about um, poker players. I, you know, I'm uh, as you know, I'm pretty uh, heavily, in, well, not heavily into poker, but I, I like, you know, I've liked watching it for a while and playing it and stuff like that. So I've got uh, some stories about poker players for sure. But oh, yeah, another interesting group of people who just like basically, you know, take their own path through life and somehow are able to make a living. It's always fascinating to me. Yeah, me too. But uh, so we'll move into what we're watching. Um, I, I can go first if you want, Mike, if you uh, still don't remember. Yeah, I'm still trying to remember what, what I had seen. <laughs> so uh, we might review this next week, depending on uh, if I can convince Mike to watch it or not. But I, I think you should, because it really is very good. I watched um, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is a Coen Brothers movie on Netflix. It's uh, it's it's kind of dark. It's, um, it can be, you know, slightly disturbing at at times, I suppose, not in a gory way, just more in a, uh, brutal way. It's kind of a a brutal movie. Uh, but it's also funny in certain parts of the, it has a, it has a lot of emotions 
you know, swirling around in it. And obviously, being the Coen brothers, it's a um, a very well-made movie. They've been spending, I think, around 25 years writing these stories. Because uh, the, basically, the move, for anyone that doesn't know, the movie is comprised of six separate stories. And none of them have any crossover characters. It's not like Pulp Fiction or, or something like that, where there's a narrative that, uh, you know, ties in and weaves around each other. There's no, I don't even think there's any location shared, except for the fact that they all take place in the Old West, whether it's uh, Texas or Arizona, California, uh, New Mexico, in, in the... the... Well, that's, that's interesting. It's almost like a short story. In... Yeah, exactly. And, and there's, uh, yeah, there's six different ones. And um, the first one is the one that's the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Uh, which is uh, sort of a musical almost, but it's uh, and that's probably the funniest one. It's a very good. The my two favorites are the first one and the last one, but they're all they're all very good. Um, there's Liam Neeson's in in one as well. That's that's pretty interesting. But I've been uh, I've been watching that. The other thing I've been watching is um, the Good Place, which I don't know if you've seen the Good Place or not, Mike. But I think it's um, yeah. No, I know it's uh. Uh, what's her name? Kristen Bell and Ted Danson, if I'm saying. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't even know. Is that on CBS? I've, I've heard good things about it, but I, it doesn't interest me. I think it's on NBC. I watch it on uh, on Hulu mostly, or DVR. yeah, I heard it's mostly on Hulu or something. So, but uh, but it's one of um, it, it's it might be the funniest network sitcom, certainly the most inventive network sitcom that's out there. It's it's really good. Um, if, yeah, you should definitely, uh, that's one that you should definitely check out, but I've been watching that, which has been getting, uh, pretty interesting. One of the things, excuse me, one of the things that I like about it is that, um, it's a show that doesn't, that's not afraid to change things up and to sort of forge its own way. Like a lot of sitcoms are very formulaic. It's like, uh, you know, here's our half an hour. You know, uh, we meet our characters, problem happens, problem resolution, and we're done. And it sort of follows that path, but but it's not... It keeps... Every time you think that they're going to go in a certain direction, and, oh, this is the path that they're going to, and they're going to stay in this path, then things switch, and things change. And, um, and I really enjoy that aspect of it. So those are kind of the two things I've been, uh, I've been watching this week. What about you? Um, the only thing I could really think of, and this wasn't what I was thinking of earlier, was I saw the movie Beer Fest again. It's uh, one of the Broken Lizard movies. Mm-hmm. I love. That. I really enjoy that movie. There's so many great parts to it. That's one of um, my. Just, like, that's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know supremely quotable. You could watch it. You know, whenever it's just like whatever it's on, I'll watch it even if it's edited for television, which I usually hate. Um, just really enjoy that movie. Um, I can't remember what else it was I watched. Sorry. You know the uh, the uh, the funny thing about uh, editing for television. I remember the first time that I saw um, Zoolander. It was on a cruise ship. I was taking a cruise with my family, and um, one of my nephews and nieces were watching this. And it was it wasn't. I think it was a Caribbean cruise or something. It wasn't Disney. Or it might have been Disney, actually, now that I think about it. But anyway, everything was edited. Like, all the movies were edited uh, even more to even to more of a degree than they would be on, on regular TV. Because this was basically 
being broadcast from the ship because this is when you're at sea and nothing's around. There's you know you can't pick up a signal for anywhere. And but you're in international waters. You should be able to make it extra bad. <laughs> you would think, but I think because it's like a family style cruise, they yeah, yeah. they edit it like that. But it it made the movie. It was the one instance where it made the movie funnier because like there's this one part where um in the original movie uh Owen Wilson's character and Ben Stiller's character are, you know are not getting along they don't like each other they have some kind of rivalry and at one point he says um you know uh hey you know I'm doing this new fashion line it's called uh derelict and and Owen Wilson says well you can derelict my balls mon capitan and in, in the on the ship, he goes, uh, and this, like I said, it's the first time I've ever seen it. He goes, you can derelict my malls, <laughs> Mon Capitan. <laughs> and Adam Sand- or, uh, Ben Siller's response is, I can derelict my own malls. <laughs> and I'm just saying, oh. they're, I'm just saying they're cracking up because I'm like, this is so fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Adam Sandler was in it, I definitely would have seen it. Yeah. As we've established, Adam Sandler is your favorite movie star. I don't think so. I think it's probably Keanu Reeves. Yeah, I like Keanu Reeves a lot, too. I mean, not enough to watch Toy Story 4, but uh, I do like him. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, with no other... uh, With no other things, since you can't remember, maybe you'll remember while we're doing our next uh, segment, which... I'll make sure to interrupt immediately when I do. Yeah, you should. (laughs) Uh, But our next segment, as we continue educating Mike... Uh, this is part four of Alien vs. Predator. This is the the final uh, the final edition, the final book in this series. I would be lying if I said I hadn't been looking forward to this for a while. I am very excited to hear how this goes. I know I'm excited to read uh, to read this to you. But uh, so as, as uh, devotees of the show will remember, last episode. We ended with Dilton getting uh, stabbed through the neck by the ceremonial knife as the predator got got out of the net and uh, appeared behind him. Um, no, that's not how we ended. It was Jughead was beheaded. No, that was in the middle of that comic. Oh, was that? Yeah. Wow, I thought that was at the end. No, remember we went uh, like... Yeah, uh, the whole robot thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I was probably drinking during the last episode, so <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's right. But anyway, so uh, we we uh, we come in during that scene. The predator's standing before them. Uh, Veronica says, "You know what are we going to do now?" The predator holds up Dilton's head, uh, looks at it, and then and I'm uh, I haven't watched a lot of predator uh, related media outside of the first movie and, and Alien versus Predator, and I've seen the second one. But he uh, he sucks... You didn't miss anything. I've seen a lot of those movies. He sucks the skin off of the head and basically eats Dilton's flesh. I don't think that's what the Predator does. But if it's it's Dark Horse who did this, right? Yeah, that's right. They would know better than I. I mean, I've never seen the Predator do anything like that, but I guess, okay, you know, we got it. So obviously they're all uh, grossed out about it. <clears throat> you know, and the Predator has taken off his mask. <clears throat> so that we can see uh, James Cameron's uh, James Cameron's contribution to the character, which is the uh, vagina-like face. 
<laughs> because, you know, they, they were designing the thing and James Cameron said, uh, why don't you add some uh, stuff on the side like that? <laughs> Maybe that's why uh, they always fight the aliens because the aliens look like penises. So yeah. they're bound to war forever. That's right. So really it's a big metaphor for the uh, battle of the sexes. That's Good job, James Cameron. And whoever did Predator. But, uh, oh, uh, John McTiernan was the first director anyway. I know Shane Black did some writing on it as well. Wasn't he also in it, or was he in the yeah. more recent one? No, he was in the he was in the first one. Um, oh yeah, that's right. He was the guy who was uh, killed by the predator. Yeah, he's the guy that that obviously doesn't look like any of the other huge muscle bound guys. <laughs> like it's so <laughs> yeah, clear. Yeah, that- <laughs> it's so clear that he that he wasn't cast for that reason. They wanted him. Like you're shocked he's not a translator, right? But they wanted him on set because they wanted him to punch up uh, certain uh, elements of the script. So uh, they just cast him in the, as a role in the movie, and that's why he dies uh, so quickly. But anyway, so um, so yeah, so he uh, slurps it off. The predator walks up to Veronica. And hands her the tries to hand her the sword, you know, hilt side, and they're like, "What? You know, what the hell's going on?" And she won't take it. And the predator, <laughs> this is one of the funniest panels in the whole book. Uh, imagine in in a regular like Archie comic, if someone's confused, that weird scrunchy look that they get on their face. Well, the <laughs> yeah. predator has that look with a big question mark bubble. <laughs> <laughs> above his head which just instantly makes him uh he's like he can't understand uh you know what's going on but uh and so he just walks away because she won't take the weapon apparently the predator thinks that she's some sort of uh you know also apex predator that he wants to fight which well socially she is that's true you know that is true but uh, see what he what he should have done was put a 50 dollar bill on it because that money grubbing whore would do anything for a 50 dollar bill <laughs> He should have showed her a picture of someone in last year's uh, like fashions. <laughs> she would have been she would have been out for blood then. Yeah, but uh, so yeah, he walks away. It's so weird because it's clear, and they know this. You know, first of all, they've emphasized that the entire comic, but it, but uh, the um, army guy also tells them this that if you don't arm yourself. The predator won't hunt you, so they could avoid this thing completely by just not, you know, uh, arming themselves with weapons. That, yeah, that's a really uh, so much of that just baffles me. Just like the so many people in the army know about the predator, so just like some random rank and file guy who's like a retiree is like, hey, uh, by the way, these predators. Well, let me tell you, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so we go to Veronica's bedroom. <laughs> With uh, Betty in bed, waking up, and she says, oh, my God, I had the worst dream. This just got really interesting. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Veronica comes up to her, and she's holding the knife. And she's like, oh, no, that wasn't a dream. So, uh, apparently... What the fuck? So, apparently, Betty Betty fainted and thought that she dreamed the last uh, week of her life somehow. I like how that's, that's common enough that she thinks, like, oh, it's another dream. Right. But uh, anyway, so um, Betty's pissed. She says that we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to fight this this thing. And her dad, uh, she set her house to self-destruct because her dad 
who's some sort of arms dealer or something like that, or, or it's implied that uh, he's been selling arms to different uh, countries, uh, that uh, he has a safe room that in the house that's bombproof, I guess, uh, and they're going to uh, destroy the rest of the house while they are safe in the safe room. So Veronica takes them, uh, you know, Betty and Archie, the wounded Archie, into the safe room. Archie's, you know, dying, basically. Um, And they put him on this giant medical bed that that, uh, her dad had installed in the safe room. And there's several buttons on here. And she, she turns the dial all the way up to the highest level. Uh, because the machine apparently can tell that Archie's dying. So um, it, uh, you know, she turns it all the way up and then it says that he's been stabilized. So, you know, she kisses him, her and uh, and she pulls Betty out uh, of the room so that they can, um, uh, you know, get some clothes because Betty's covered in bloody clothes and she wants her to look good for when Archie wakes up. <laughs> I like how they have this magical bed that will heal someone from near death, but he decides to go into the arms dealing business. Right. Yeah. That always confuses me when someone's like a villain and, um, and they, uh, you know, they have a machine like this and it's like, you know, I'm going to hostage the world for, uh, you know, a hundred million dollars or something. It's like, just, just sell that for a hundred million dollars. <laughs> Right, just pat in the bed, and uh, you're you're gold, and people think you're a hero. Yeah. You're equally rich, if not more. Exactly. But uh, while they're out of the room, uh, we see the bed. You know, the bed says, uh, "Never turn past seven or no, no, never turn past five. And she's turned it all the way to eleven. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly, what? suddenly, there's uh, you know, like Archie basically looks like he's turning into a mutant man. <laughs> like there's bubbles all over his skin. Stuff like <laughs> why that. would that be an option for the setting? If you can't turn to past five, why would there be six more options? I don't know. But we see uh, we see Betty getting dressed, um, which is nice. And uh, she's uh, she's putting on some kind of pink ball gown that uh, <laughs> with a bunch of frills on the bottom. She looks like Scarlett O'Hara almost. But uh, so anyway, they're all, you know they're getting dressed and everything. Veronica's got uh, an Uzi <laughs> that's apparent okay. apparently from her uh, from her dad. And then there's just a big splash page that says, guess who's coming to dinner? And the predator is right outside her door. She starts shooting at it. Uh, You know, it's dodging and everything. Uh, Her and Betty, you know, basically try to fight it. And uh, the predator approaches them, approaches Betty, looks like he's going to to get them. And uh, he gets gets her lucky hair scrunchie. (laughs) Which Betty wants to go back for, but, uh, she, you know, obviously they don't. Um, and, uh, they're running back. That wasn't obvious at all by the previous events and actions they had done. (laughs) They're running back towards the panic room and the predator is about to grab Veronica when a giant arm comes and clasps the predator's hand. You know that, (laughs) you know that scene? In uh, 
The Predator, where Arnold Schwarzenegger and Billy D. Williams have the most awkward handshake known to man, where they just clasp their hands together, but they're also flexing at the same time. I, I believe you mean Carl Weathers. Or actually. Carl Weathers, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, but that's that's exactly what it looks like. Nice. So Archie punches the Predator, who goes flying, because apparently, for some reason... This medical machine can also basically turn you into a Superman because another good thing to sell instead of arms, right? Because now he's a giant. Like he looks like Archie, but he's huge with rippling with rippling muscles and everything. <laughs> so you know, Veronica says, uh, "I think I set the machine too high," and Betty says, "Oh, it's okay. I forgive you." And they're both like drooling, you know, uh, over what. Him. Because he's so big and muscular now. So he picks up a an axe, and uh, the Predator picks up a mace. They start fighting each other. Archie gets hit in the shoulder. He throws the axe at the Predator, which, uh, which uh, hits a chandelier crashing down on the Predator. They keep fighting. Veronica picks up the knife, uh... Because uh, he's going, she's going to stab the predator in the back while uh, while Archie's fighting him, um, and then the uh, you know the pre- like Betty starts to come in with a sword to help too, and the predator uh, lops off uh, one of Archie's hands or well, no one of uh, Betty's hands, sorry, and then Archie while he's stunned, you know, uh, looking at her, the predator stabs him through the head. And then just obliterates his entire head with his other hand <laughs> in a shower of blood just everywhere. Betty's going to need another gown. Betty's, uh, you know, obviously distraught. She says, you killed my Archie. And then she stabs it uh, through the chest while uh, Veronica hits it in the back of, back of his head. Uh, the magic knife kind of goes poof. And it looks like uh, the Predator is about to die. It's mortally wounded. They get to the panic room. They close the door. Uh, the The house blows up. And the Predator is kind of, uh, you know, obviously incinerated. Uh, we move back. We go back uh, inside the panic room. Veronica uh, has healed Betty's arm. And then she kind of passes out. And, you know, we move in. And... Uh, she wakes, Veronica's waking up and she says, oh, what happened? And Betty says, oh, I used your dad's machine to heal us. It's, it's, uh, really super. And did you know there's a whole section in the manual on face and body reconstruction? (laughs) And she says, please tell me you didn't give yourself plastic surgery. And Betty says, oh no, but I guess we won't have to live with Archie after all. Um, (laughs) and you see the predator lying on the bed (laughs) and apparently she dragged before the explosion Betty dragged the predator inside the panic room he's lying on the bed and he's got a big R Riverdale uh, sweater on (laughs) Uh, still mostly a predator face but you can see half is being turned into Archie so they're making the predator into Archie and she says I mean we'll have to teach him to chill around uh, the cutlery but he is devoted to us after all he dragged himself in here with us Wow! and that is where we end Archie and the predator wow that's amazing 
What a journey. Um, definitely, I would recommend anyone out there that wants to check out that comic book, I would recommend you check it out. It is fantastic. That's uh, that's a journey, that, that comic book. So uh, next time we will be looking at something else, obviously. I've got a few things in the works that I think might be uh, might be interesting. But yeah, definitely tune in next week for more educating Mike because I uh, I can't wait to dive into some more uh, to some more uh, pop culture that you haven't uh, experienced so we can uh, go on some more journeys together <laughs> I feel like I need a nap after that <laughs> but uh, so on to our main topic uh, which is part four our final part of the films of Kevin Smith We've got just a few to talk about today, and uh, we'll get into the animated series, which I know Mike and I are both pretty excited to talk about. But uh, we left off with uh, Zack and Miriam make a porno, which, uh, you know, if you want to hear, you can go back to our, our previous episode if you're not aware. Mike and I, I think both uh, said that we, uh, we, we, you know, we like it as, you know, it's not the yeah, best. It's, it's okay. My, my ranking is okay. Yeah. But next, uh, we move on to 2010's Cop Out, the uh, Tracy Morgan and uh, Bruce Willis-led uh, film, written and directed by Kevin Smith about uh, uh, a um, and Jason Lee plays a role in this too as the uh, as the stepdad. But uh, Bruce Willis is a down on his luck cop whose daughter is getting married. He wants to pay for the wedding, but he doesn't have the money, so he. Um, you know, comes up with this idea to sell his, uh, I think it's, uh, it's Pathco, but I can't remember the first name, but it's uh, a base. It's a rare baseball card. Uh, like Andy Pathco or something like that. I don't know. Someone out there will Sam- know. Sandy Koufax. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, so he wants to sell this card and the card ends up getting stolen and, uh, you know, they, they, they get into this, uh, you know, are there hijinks? Yeah, wacky, wacky adventure tracking down these criminals trying to get his uh, his baseball card back so he can pay for his daughter's wedding. I haven't seen this movie, but just to be clear, uh, Bruce Willis goes from uh, tackling a German terrorist to baseball card thieves. Yeah, that's right. Is that correct? Yes, correct. Okay. The only thing I know about this movie is that there was like a huge fallout after. I actually didn't know that it was written and directed by Kevin Smith. I thought it was just like a studio movie he directed. No, no, he wrote it and directed it. Oh wait, yeah, I know that uh, he became friends with Bruce Willis. Um, oh, no, you're probably no, no, you're right. He did not write this movie. Okay, yeah, that that would make sense because I mean, um, that's a very odd premise for a Kevin Smith movie. I mean, yeah, there's crazy adventures, but nothing you know to the level that from the previous at least I've seen. And I know that like uh, they probably became friendly on this the set of uh, Live Free and uh, Die Hard. Yeah, I guess. He because he Kevin Smith was in that as the warlock, the uh, computer hacker. Yep. Um that's not a good movie. Uh, this doesn't sound like a very good one either. I know there was a lot of infighting afterwards. And if you watch like the evening with Kevin Smith, there's a really hilarious story about like his relationship with Bruce Willis. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce Willis was apparently uh, very hard to work with. Um Kevin Smith is certainly not the first person to say that about Bruce Willis. Um Bruce Willis acts like he does not care about the craft of acting or or any job he's done in maybe i don't know 30 years 
Uh, yeah, I mean, he was in the sixth sense. He was pretty good. I really liked Unbreakable with him. But yeah, yeah. aside from that, I can't. I can't think of a movie with Bruce Willis that I've gone out of my way to see. I will go see the um, Glass. Glass, I think it's called. Yeah, I'll the, see uh, that too, yeah. the third movie in that series. Yep. Um, yeah, Bruce Willis. I mean, I mean, yeah, he's he's Bruce Willis. I mean, like there was actually uh, I don't know if you ever watched Mar- Married with Children. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was a pretty funny part where uh, Al uh, Bundy was talking about how he lasts longer with his wife, and he goes, "I just think, why is Bruce Willis a star?" And he's got a good. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing Bruce Willis does that any random person could not do. I agree. I agree. But uh, yeah, uh, it's. I have seen this movie. It's. It's not very good. Um, I suppose there. There are some parts that are sort of enjoyable, but the. You know, and obviously, the, you know, he didn't write it, so this isn't Kevin Smith's fault or anything. But um, a lot of the jokes don't land. Uh, you know, the direction is good. I, I actually think it's a pretty well directed movie. But well, that's good because I think Kevin Smith's direction has definitely steadily improved for sure. Oh, I agree for sure. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 a well directed movie, but it's just not. The performances are only okay, and uh, it's not. It's not super funny, uh, you know, obviously. There's maybe one or two good jokes in, in the entire movie. But, yeah, it's definitely a, uh, a hard pass from me. Yeah, I, I'm surprised I didn't see it because, you know, obviously I like Kevin Smith, and I am a big Tracy Morgan fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I didn't see it, and I have no plans to see it. Um, another uh, bit of trivia is, according to Kevin or to, according to Bruce Willis, and I think the timeline kind of syncs up, this is when Kevin Smith... Uh, First started getting heavily into smoking uh, marijuana, so that might have a part as to why they didn't get along. I don't really know. I mean, I'm sure that'd be much more enjoyable than working with Bruce Willis. Right. <laughs> yeah, this is this movie is why he started smoking on set. <laughs> that would make sense. And that would explain a lot of the movies after this, too. Right. But, uh, yeah, so the next uh, film is uh, 2011's Red State, which he did write and direct. See, I, I really enjoy Red State. It's another. What I like about Kevin Smith too is that he. I mean, he's widely known for his comedies, but he definitely does take risks. Like, um, a Dogma. You know, after Mallrats, which was you know not. Well, actually, no. I'm sorry. It was after Chasing Amy, which you know was really a really good movie, but wasn't commercially successful. Dogma. I mean, you're making an action movie about like Catholicism. That's not you know that's not the safest choice. You could easily have done Clerks too at that point. Mallrats was probably enough of a cult hit at that point. You could do a sequel to that, and mm-hmm. you know. Hundreds of people would go see that for sure. <laughs> Literally hundreds. But every person would be having the time of their life because Mallrats is such a classic movie. Yeah, apparently all his movies make around thirty million dollars. I mean, that's fine if you're, you know, the budget's like five million, which I'm sure it was for some of them. But cop out, I'm sure the budget was quite a bit bigger just to pay uh, Bruce Willis alone. Yeah. Um... I mean, the harmonica budget on that set must have been astounding. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, cop out cost thirty million dollars to make. Uh, it made fifty five point six million. Um, oh, that's good. I mean, I'm, I'm sure with you know Hollywood accounting practices, it had it was a huge bomb. But that's I mean, at least <laughs> right. he, on paper made a profit. Well, with marketing, you know, they usually say double the production budget for marketing, but I I don't know if they spent that much marketing. Uh, I did see a lot of like, you know, previews for it and commercials at the time. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked. And again, you know, if they're, you know, you know, they're paying 
you know, someone they know at a marketing company, you know, I'm, that stuff is super expensive. So it would make perfect sense. Red State uh, was made for $4 million. Its box office take was $1.8 million. See, that is a shame because Red State is a really good movie. Red, it's a really... It's a much I'm better sorry. movie than Cop Out. I mean, I would, I would go as far as saying that Red State is almost like a modern horror classic because it has a lot of the, you know, premises of... Uh, standard horror movies it's in a lot of ways it's not a slasher movie but it's like definitely a horror slash suspense type movie yeah i would agree and uh and red state is one of my favorite of kevin smith's uh films actually it's uh, i would put it uh i'd put it probably in my top four at least maybe my maybe even my top three but yeah i put it in my top four for sure i think i'd put dogma up top um Chasey, Amy, and Mallrats, not sure of the order of that, then probably Red State. But yeah, Red State is uh, a, a fantastic movie. And like and like you said, this is uh, that you're totally right on with this point. A risk, definitely a different type of movie. Uh, there's a little bit of his humor in here, but obviously that's not the point of, uh, of the movie at all. And, um, you know, for those of, of you who haven't seen it and those of you who don't know, the basic plot is uh, why, why, actually. Why don't you go through the plot of this one? Because I'm going to be going through uh, a lot of yoga hosers. Yeah, sure. Um, I, keep in mind it's been a while since I've seen this. So I'm going to miss a lot of the big points. Um, but at the beginning of the movie, there's these young men. I think there's th- three of them. Yep. Pardon me. They alert by like a Craigslist ad or something like that that a uh, a woman wants to have like you know group sex with them. So you know they're all really happy about that. They're they're drinking, they're smoking pot. You know they're you know the the standard like victims in any horror. Right. Exactly. So they show up at her trailer, and I, I can't. I think she drugs their beer. Is what I think happens. I don't remember. It's been a while, but that doesn't mean I don't like the movie. I just haven't seen it in a while. Nope. You're right. And then they wake up like they're in cages and like this like kind of like weird offshoot of uh, like a, it seems like a Baptist type church. I don't think they rather explicitly say. Um, obviously it's like a metaphor or a, a parallel to like the the Westboro Baptist type group. So Correct. that's maybe why I'm thinking it's a Baptist group. Yep. Actually, I, I want to say something right here, which I think I think maybe the title of the movie might have had a much bigger factor than you would think. I mean, it's clearly making a politicizing, you know, of the whole red state, blue state, you know, Republican, Democrat, you know, type um, mm-hmm. issues. Which pro- I mean, I can't think of a better title for the movie, but I mean, I can't think of a worse one either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the film, the I mean, the film has political, like a, a slightly political slant, slant, but it's not, you know, around this time that he made this movie, there were a, a couple different documentaries about um, really, uh, one, you know, obviously the Westboro Baptist Church, but also uh, like hardcore Christian camps that were basically kind of like arming children and like preparing them for some kind of cultural religious war um, with is yeah, I think Jesus with, camp was out around that time as well. Yeah, with with uh, with Islam, you know, people of uh, uh, Muslim religion, and also just people that they thought wanted to kind of suppress Christianity. And it's really more about that than it is about you know Republican or Democrat. Yeah, I don't think there's. I mean, aside from like you know the obvious comparison to the Westboro specifically, and like you know super like over-the-top evangelical-type groups. I mean, it's not really political at all. So the, the title mm-hmm. is, I think it's a bad choice in my opinion. I agree. I think they could have, I think they could have figured out 
something better. And and you're right, it might have turned off uh, a lot of people that just uh, basically said to themselves, uh, either that they were Republicans, and they're like, well, you know, that's going to be against what I believe, so I don't want to see it. Or even people more politically minded that, you know, are like more snobbish that basically said, I don't want to see a Kevin Smith political movie. Yeah, for sure. I mean, which is, I mean, which is a shame because it's a really good movie. And I mean, I mean, the performance, particularly of Michael Parks is just, it's, he puts on an amazing performance. I mean, it's like a lifetime, like, you know, the role of a lifetime. Mm -hmm. Uh, Those of you who don't know, Michael Parks is, he's kind of like a character actor. I didn't really know about him much until he was in um, Kill Bill volume one and two. Quentin Tarantino obviously loves him. Mm Mm-hmm. He plays a big role in both of them. He, he plays multiple characters in the two movies, which is kind of weird. Uh, he was, I believe, he was also in um, Dawn of the Dead, playing the same character that he plays in Kill Bill. Um, oh, I don't remember if he was in Dawn of the Dead. Are you, wait, uh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. What's what's the vampire movie? Robert Rodriguez from Dusk That's Till Dawn. From Dusk, Dusk Till Dawn. Dawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was definitely and, in that. Yeah, yeah. He's. I'm almost 100 percent sure he's playing the same exact character. He is Earl McGraw. Is he, yeah, yeah. So yep. it's kind of like you know, interesting from that perspective. You know, there's like a link between Rodriguez and Tarantino, one of many, I'm sure. He also plays uh, Earl McGraw in, um, I think it's in Planet Terror, the uh, the grind. Uh, yeah, I didn't one. see those, but that would not shock me one bit. Um, but yeah, so so he's like this super super charismatic leader of like a small splinter group of you know. Basically, like it's almost like a David Koresh slash Westboro yep. slash you know even Jim Jones on a smaller scale group that they basically believe that the end of the world is coming and it's coming very soon. Mm-hmm. And they've come to taking and collecting like these sinners. I don't remember. I don't remember. Do they kill? Do they kill? I, I honestly don't remember. It's been so long. One of them, yeah, they kill people for sure. Uh, they kill one of the three. Um, one of the three guys. I just don't remember which one. Yeah, so they basically, and like the whole time he's like, you know, he's like in this small church and they're all like, you know, super enthusiastic that they're wiping the sins from the earth. Um, and then they're, and they're, it's almost in a sense like Psycho where there's like a missing person and someone's trying to investigate it. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if you wouldn't mind taking it from here, I I don't remember much after this of the movie. I, I like the movie a lot. The ending, I remember that part. I don't remember most of the middle of the movie. So, um, Basically, uh, you know, at some point, um, uh, a uh, Re- Ralph Garman, who does uh, the Smodcast. Uh, uh, yeah, that's right. I forgot Ralph Garman's in it. He's one of the cult members, isn't he? Yeah, and he's sort of um, uh, sympathetic to uh, to what's going on. Like, he's clearly not as brainwashed as everyone else in uh, in the cult and everything. Uh, so he kind of tries to help them out. And I, John Goodman's in it. He plays the uh, the AT, uh, ATF agent. That's right. I, I completely forgot John Goodman's in this. And he's really good, too. But John Goodman is good in anything he's in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Kevin Pollock's also in the movie for a short period of time, too, as another ATF uh, agent. Um, and they kind of butt heads. But, uh, you know, it's clear the ATF kind of, they don't know what's going on, obviously, or they'd put a stop to it. But they know, they've been keeping an eye on on this group because they're wary about, um, you know, what they've been doing and everything. And and, uh, so they're, you know, like, there's a lot of different things. This is one of the things that I think, and this is why, this is why I put it high on my list. Because there's a lot of moving parts to this movie. Um, There's the cult stuff. 
There's the kids uh, who are in prison trying to get out the whole like horror movie element of it. There's the um, the police, you know, the uh, law enforcement, uh, you know, part of it, too. And everything kind of moves in concert and sort of everything comes together, you know, at, uh, you know, at the same time. And the way that the narrative is woven uh, to where all those things kind of culminate at once is it's a it's a it's an achievement in writing for sure. And um, I don't want to go too much farther than that because I really don't want to get into spoilers because I know not a ton have, of people have seen this. But uh, if you have sort of dropped out of watching some of Kevin Smith's later works, as uh, some people seem to have, check out Red State. Um, definite. This is one that you're gonna want to see. Uh, it's it's a very good film, and uh, like you know, Mike and I are big Kevin Smith fans, and we both put it uh, within our top five. So uh, so I think that's enough of an endorsement for the movie. But that's kind of the basic you know premise of the movie. Definitely go out, rent it, or uh, you know find it online somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I, I I would go as far to say as if it had a different title and it was not known that Kevin Smith had directed this movie, it would have been a much bigger hit. Absolutely. Like if you had like, you know, almost in a sense like that paranormal, it's like par- paranormal activity in the sense it's like a really surprisingly good movie, but it's much better than paranormal activity. In my yep. <clears throat> um, you know, would you mind, I'm going to give a little, all right, I'm going to give a big spoiler, spoiler for this movie. So if you want to watch it, um, maybe wait five seconds. Okay, good. All right, one, two, three, four, five. All right, you know how the ending where at the they hear like the sound and they think the rapture's coming. Yep. Did you hear about the the alternate ending? No, I haven't seen the alternate ending. Oh, that's funny. I don't know if it was ever filmed, but actually, what they're gonna have is at at, at the ending, the rapture actually does occur. <laughs> oh, so they're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was gonna be like one of the. It's almost like in the movie Frailty, which is another another movie that I like a lot, and I think I saw it with you. Mm-hmm. Or like you, know, where the bad guys actually write the whole time. Like they're gonna have like you know, you hear that like tone and like people's heads start exploding and like you know like angels start descending and that sort of. Thing. Oh wow! Which would have been a really fucking mind blower. But I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's better the way it actually is. But I mean, yeah, it's just like a really crazy way to end the movie. Yeah, I yeah that man. I kind of want to see that. I I do like the way that the movie actually ends, but. Oh man, that that changes a yeah, that, lot of things. Yeah, that would have been. I'd like to see it just to see how how differently I would have felt if I had seen that as the ending. Yeah, that's crazy. And uh, even though people aren't listening, if they're not wanting to hear the spoilers and they have no way of knowing, uh, spoilers over. Yep, spoilers are over. Now. But, Another interesting part of this movie. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Another interesting part of this movie that I thought was, I think this is one where Kevin Smith was like basically like upset with the entire industry. I could be wrong. This might be a different movie, but he said he would auction off the rights to the movie at, at like, um, what was it? The uh, the Sundance, I think, film festival. Is okay. this a movie? Is this a crime? Um, I'm not sure because uh, I'm not I'm not super familiar with this story. I know it premiered at um, that at uh, Sundance, and I know he self distributed the movie. Yeah, okay, I'm going to say that this is the right one then, even though I could be completely wrong. Like, he really pissed a lot of people off because he said he was going to auction it off after the movie he played, and then he sold the movie to himself for $20. <laughs> Which is kind of, I mean, it's obviously, I mean, Kevin Smith, I mean, you know, say what you will, he's, he's 
definitely really great at publicity, much to his detriment at times. Mm-hmm. And just like you know, basically announcing and like building anticipation, like oh yeah, I'm gonna buy it. It's like what? Yeah, um, you know the box office numbers I quoted earlier. I'm not I'm not sure if that includes the video on demand stuff because this was the one since he self distributed it through the Smod- Smodcast uh, Pictures brand. Uh, I, I know it ran at the Beverly Cinema, uh, which is owned by the new Be- the new Beverly Cinema, which is owned by Quentin Tarantino. Um, just so yeah, that, that wasn't that express. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Just just so that it would be eligible for Academy Award consideration, uh, because that's which that's their Michael Parks should have at least been nominated. He's amazing in the movie. I agree, and that's uh, yeah, that's their. I, I think I think this has got to change at some point. I know you don't care about the Oscars, although eventually we're going to have to do an Oscar show. <laughs> but um, that'll be me going. I haven't seen that for like two hours, pretty much. Yep, but uh, but eventually they got to change that rule. But you have to have at least like a, a theatrical release to be considered. I think it's dumb. But anyway, so uh, you know, it was released for a week and then it was video on demand. So I don't know if those. I don't know if that one point eight million is just the week that it was released at the New Beverly Cinema. If that's the case, I, that's that not very bad. high for one. That sounds very high for one theater. Yeah, that's but true. I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I hope, I, I hope he, you know, made a lot of money off this movie because it's, it's a great movie. I mean, and, again, yeah. change the name, say it's by someone else. It's, you know, it's a blockbuster. Well, not blockbuster, but it's a fifty dollars movie for fifty dollars, fifty million dollars movie. Yep, I agree. Um, so now we move on to Tusk. This will be the one that we talk the shortest about because I haven't seen Tusk. Um, and I know that it's not fair to review a movie that I haven't seen, so uh, I'm just going to say that Tusk is probably terrible. Yeah, the very per- the, you know what the premise is at least. Yeah, I've I've read the um, you know this is one because I've seen every single other Kevin Smith movie. I should probably get around to this at some point, um, but I've read the uh, I've read the Wikipedia of uh, of the film, and it just it just didn't. Like I said, I, I haven't seen it, so I can't I can't actually give it a review. But it just yeah, did not I, I, interest I, me at all. Yeah, this one I haven't seen either, and I, I it's not like you said not fair to review it. But the premise is like they it actually came up from like a episode of Smodcast, I believe. Okay, or maybe the one he does with Scott Mosier. It's basically Jaws, but with um, what is it a walrus? Yeah, but not quite because it's like a Craigslist ad where someone basically turns somebody into a walrus. It's podcasters. Yeah, and it, it's oh, there you go, and it's a oh, much like uh, the new Halloween podcasters. Yeah, it's a, it's a couple. It's a one asshole podcaster played by Jason Long, and one nice guy uh, who I think it's the girl in the end, basically the kind of thing. But uh, yeah, Jason uh, or Justin Long, gets, Justin, yeah, he gets slowly turned into a walrus by this dude through the course of a movie. Yeah, I think this is Johnny Depp is also, and he plays the the Quebecy like police officer who yep. I think is also on the yoga hosers. I couldn't tell you though. Cause yes. I, I will when we get to yoga hosers, you'll discover that I turned it off almost immediately. Yeah. He's in yoga hoser. He play. He's, he's yeah. He's, he's in it a little bit, but he's in the movie. Yes. Has the same character. Is yoga hosers directly after this or is there something else? Nope. Yoga hosers will be our next movie. <clears throat> okay, so yeah, let's get into yoga hosers because I don't even. I, I mean, I'll see Tusk eventually, and hey, if I if I end up seeing it and saying, oh, you know what, this is uh, this is actually a really great movie, then uh, I will let you know on this here podcast. 
And you'll be the only person in existence to say that as well from the reviews I've read. <laughs> but I'll tell you, uh, I did watch Yoga Hosers. Um, this is another one made for uh, $5 million. And its box office was $38,784. So I'm guessing this is another one that must have been uh, released simply uh, for like one week or whatever. I'm guessing. I don't know. Uh, I can't imagine it was in, in you know the theaters for months and only received that much money. But It wasn't on my screen more than 10 minutes, so I can't imagine it was in theaters very long. Yeah. Uh, Okay, I'm going to I'm going to invoke the compliment sandwich uh where I say something nice then I completely say like the worst thing that you could ever possibly say about anything and then I give a compliment at the end. That's how I'm going to handle this review of yoga hosers. Here is my compliment and I'm going to try to think uh while I'm ripping the movie apart if I can think of any other compliments. Um, Harley Quinn Smith and Lily Rose and uh, Lily Rose Depp, uh, which is Johnny Depp's daughter and Kevin Smith's daughter are outstanding in this movie. They are great. They have, I, I assume, I assume they're friends in real life. Um, they have amazing chemistry with each other. Yeah, they are friends in real life. I know that much. They have uh, they have great comedic timing. They're both very good actresses. Um, I, I would love to see them in a really good and well written film. This is not that, but they are they're fantastic. I, I love both of them uh, as the characters they play in this movie. Yeah, I, see, this is this is how bad this movie is. I also thought they were charismatic. Their chemistry is amazing. You know, they're you want to see what happens to them, and then the movie starts, and you're like, okay, I don't care what happens to them. Yep, exactly. Uh, so they play Colleen and Colleen. They're both they're two different Colleens: Colleen Colette and Colleen McKenzie. Uh, they live in a Canada, I believe it's Quebec, but I'm not exactly sure or no manitoba that's where it is manitoba they live in manitoba in uh canada which uh the uh tusk also takes place in canada these movies are very uh closely related uh in fact they show up at some point in tusk as well the uh the colettes i think they they're part of the, the reason that justin long ends up spoilers getting somewhat saved um but anyway, so they are uh, two uh, 15-year-olds that work as clerks at a uh, A to Z convenience store um, in Canada, and uh, they're in a band where they uh, they sing. There are two extended um, singing montages in uh, the in the movie. Uh, the movie starts with a very long. Uh, it's basically an entire song. It's like, it's like a music video. And then it, it also ends over the credits. The one, the O Canada one over the credits, I didn't mind as much. Um, at the beginning, I'm like, okay, I, I get it, Kevin. Your daughter is talented. She can sing. But I want to see a movie, not a music video. That's kind right. of That's kind of what I was thinking the whole time. I'm like, start the movie now. You know, like I, I get it. I don't need I don't need a three minute long um, song to begin the film. But um, but anyway, so 
they are into yoga. Justin Long plays their uh, their yogi or their guru or whatever. Um, and his name is Yogi Bearer. <laughs> like B-A-Y-E-R. Um, and he has a, a delightful little subplot and delightful is as much sarcasm as I can. It's <laughs> like where, where he uh, is on the phone with different companies uh, saying that uh, he doesn't understand why he's in violation of copyright for calling himself Yogi Bear. <laughs> so it's like the uh, the McDowell subplot from uh, Coming to America, but not funny. Exactly. exactly. That's the exact right way to put it, but because not you know, funny. Because you know the uh, Yogi... Yogi Berra IP is like super hot these days. Right. So you see why people would be just, just trying to drag him down. Anyway, so um, they, uh, everyone calls, this is the other thing that pisses me off about this movie. Every single person calls them yoga hosers at some point. I get it. Hosers is a funny word. It's a funny thing Canadians say. Uh, Stan Lee makes a cameo in this as a nine uh. as a 911 operator, okay? He he's talking to them. He thinks they're crazy. Basically hangs up on them and he says yoga hosers. How the fuck does he know that they're into yoga? there's no there's no way there's so many people that would have no idea that they like yoga and they call them yoga hosers that's not a common phrase is that your biggest pet peeve with the movie no but it's one of the many so anyway this is a large sandwich apparently oh yeah yeah this is a huge shit compliment sandwich they uh they go, uh, they're in school, and they learn about uh, how during World War II, the Nazi party had an influence in uh, the area where they live uh, by the self-proclaimed Canadian Fuhrer, uh, whose name was uh, Adrian Arcand, who's played by um, uh, Haley Joe Osment. Oh, I, I don't mind Haley Joe Osment. I like him in things. He was in Silicon Valley. I don't know if you watched that. No, that's another one I need to catch up on. That's really good. He's really funny in that, but I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I like the interruptions. But um, anyway, so so uh, they they learn about all this and everything, and they learn how um, he had a, a guy that uh, a Nazi that um, you know liked the things that he was preaching and kind of helped him um, get uh, like helped him get uh, like started and everything. Who's played by? Um, uh, man, I just said his name, too, and I can't think of his name. The one on the Smodcast. Um, oh, uh, Ralph Garman? Yeah, Ralph Garman um, plays uh, plays the uh, the guy. So, anyway, um, the, uh, they, um, there's a couple murders that happen early on, right? And um, you see just people, like, walking. Like, this guy, oh, um, have you ever seen Epic Mealtime on YouTube? No, I am aware of it, but I haven't seen it. Well, the guy, uh, uh, Harley, I believe his name is, the guy that uh, that stars in it with a giant beard, he's in the movie for a little bit, too. And um, The only movie with two people named Harley in it, here's something. <laughs> yeah, but he gets killed, um, and we don't exactly see what happens, um, or like how exactly he gets killed, right? Yeah, Har- Harley Mortensen, that's that's his name. But anyway, so um, turns out, I'm going to get to this real quick because I, I don't want to go through the whole plot of this fucking terrible movie. <laughs> but uh, 
it turns out that the Nazi guy that helped um, Haley Joel Osment's character, because they were going to take over Canada and everything, right? Turns out that uh, during World War II, he was like a Nazi scientist, basically, right? So he was going to create an army of clones to take over Canada. So he cloned himself, ostensibly. Um, but he used bratwurst. For <laughs> bratwurst and sauerkraut casings as the body almost like frankenstein-like okay right he puts them in and mixed with his dna he puts them in this incubation thing and then he gets in a refrigerator which is like a cryogenic freezing thing and he's supposed to sleep for i think it's a hundred years so a hundred years they come out they're clones they take over canada hooray the nazi party uh while the Colleen. Can, can we isolate that clip of you saying hooray the Nazi party? <laughs> I might need that later. Yes, oh my god. Yes, yeah, someone's going to uh someone's gonna use it against me at some point. We should title this episode Hooray the Nazi Party. Oh god. But anyway, so the Colleen's this this thing happens to be below, this bunker happens to be below the convenience store where they work, the A to Z. So, uh, when they were playing one time, they, they shorted out the power and, um, and, uh, that shorted out, uh, the power to both the incubator and his cryogenic freezing, which made him wake up. Die? No, made him, oh. wake, made him wake up early <laughs> and it made his army wake up early too. Now here's some more problems I have with this. First of all, this was supposedly, uh, built in the mid forties. Okay. The A to Z was it there? Because if it wasn't there, how did he? How how are those power things connected? One, <laughs> two. He says that they're supposed to, these clones are supposed to grow to to regular human size. Go look at the movie. Look at the incubator. It's only it only would allow them to grow to the tiny little bratwurst men size that they actually become in the movie. Because that's what happens. They're tiny little Nazi bratwurst guys that are killing people by going up their butt and then out through their nose or out through their mouth. That's this is like dream ca- Dreamcatcher, but not as clever. Exactly. Exactly. And that's a terrible movie, by the way. So that's a, so that's saying a lot. But uh, but yeah, they're supposed to grow to human size. But if they actually grew to human size, they would destroy the entire thing because there's supposed to be hundreds of these guys. Also, <laughs> so they they uh, um. So what happens is we we find out that they're like running around and everything. These these Nazi bratwurst people, um, that all have the face of Kevin Smith. Wow. Yeah. So um, the Colleen's uh, invite a couple of guys over to the convenience store because they have to work because uh, their uh, parents who own the convenience store are going out of town. And they were going to go to a party with these two guys that they have crushed. You know, I'm sorry. I just realized something. The name McKenzie, that's probably a direct you know reference to the characters from Strange Brew, is it? Isn't it? Yeah, I think so. You know, hosers, uh, Doug, and yeah, uh, uh, yeah, no, yep. yeah. You're right. No, you're right. Strange Brews Brew is a very good movie, by the way. But uh, anyway, so um, yeah, I think that's probably Doug McKenzie. Yeah, and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name off the top of my head for some reason. But um, anyway, so uh, so they invite these guys over 
because they can't go to the party now, but they've got a crush on them. They decide to come over. Turns out that these guys are Satan worshippers that want to kill the Colleens and sacrifice them. And they act like they've done this before, but no one has said anything about it in this small town that they live in, (laughs) that, that, that any girls are missing or anything like that. And so they want to sacrifice them because they want to, like, you know, they, they want to get in with Satan and stuff like that, right? There is absolutely no reason for this subplot in any way because we already have, um, we already have a threat, okay? So what happens is they come over, they act like they're going to kill them and everything. You know, they, at first they act like, you know, they want to have sex with them or make out or whatever they want to do, right? Then they act like they're going to kill them. Oh, and they have to be virgins. And that's why, because they're seniors and uh, the Colleens are sophomores. So, you know, they say, we have to pick you because there are no virgins in the senior class, which I don't believe, by the way, that there are no 18-year-old virgins in this town at all. I don't know, it's cold up there in Canada. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, um, so, you know, they act like they're going to kill them. The bratwurst men come and kill the guys. So one threat eliminates another threat. You didn't have to do this at all. It's so painful. It's so like, it was so drawn out and so stupid and wasted so much time. You could have just had them be normal horny guys and then the bratwurst guys kill them. So the Colleens, they get together, they use their yoga moves um, to kill all like all the bratwurst guys they see. The police come and they arrest them from the murder of the two guys because obviously they don't believe that Nazi bratwurst men are walking around. Because who would? Because it's stupid and it's a stupid premise for a movie. You know, some of the uh, top MMA fighters use yoga as their primary discipline. (laughs) Yeah, I can believe it based on the moves in this movie. Also, I've got another compliment, uh, but I'll do it after. I thought of something. Okay. So, <laughs> so anyway, turns out they, they you know, they, they, uh, the, uh, Johnny Depp's stupid character comes and finds them again. Um, you know, he says he believes them basically for whatever fucking reason he ends up, um, uh, like breaking them out of jail. Um, because, oh, this is the other thing that pisses me off, too, and this is a little thing, but the little things really add up in this movie. He says, he comes in and sees them and says, oh, her like, the mom's aware and everything. They know that, um, that you're in jail here, but they can't bail you out because the cops don't allow serial killers to get bailed out and, you know, you're responsible for the murder of those two guys. You have to kill three people to be a serial killer. <laughs> Okay. First of all, there are two girls and two guys. So we could even even if we only assume that one of them was was the murderer and they didn't each kill one person, the the legal standard is three people in three separate events to be a serial killer. So they absolutely could have Maybe they're factoring Kevin Smith's filmmaking career as another victim of this movie. <laughs> God. Anyway, so he breaks them out, or like you know, sneaks them out of jail, basically, and um, and takes them to the uh, to the sheets. They they take him to the A to Z because they say that there's a secret passage that leads to an underground bunker at the A to Z. Um, 
and that her dad told her about it when uh, he first bought the place, right? We learn when they get there. And her dad is in the Illuminati. <laughs> right. We learn when they get there that she made all that up. That what? that she lied about it <laughs> just so that the, that he would let them out and, and she's not sure what they're going to do and everything. Which, one, is a stupid plan. Uh, two, they those guys had knives. Just say they tried to kill us and we defended ourselves. <laughs> With yoga. Three... How could we have killed them in the manner in which they were killed because their insides were all ripped up from something crawling in them? What did we do that with? You know, they're <laughs> going to be in way more trouble having broken out of prison. But but five, the fifth point about this stupid plot thing in the movie is that there actually is a hidden bunker. She <laughs> made it up, but it happens to also be true. When you're right, you're right. So, so they end up accidentally finding it in the bathroom uh, when they when uh, something it's I, I can't remember what what gets pushed in the toilet something that should way way should have been found out long before this anyway um, they they find the underground thing where um, uh, where the Nazi guy that's left Ralph Garman. Um, uh, explains to them their entire his entire plan <laughs> and stuff, and uh, and does a bunch of different impressions. Ralph Garman is a uh, a fairly talented impressionist and everything. I'm sure he's a very funny guy. I don't I don't uh, I don't really listen to the Smodcast. Um, so he, I, he's really good on it, and the Hollywood Babylon as well. And other Kevin Smith was born to be a podcaster before it was invented, essentially, is what you learn from listening to those podcasts. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll probably listen to them at some point. But in this movie, he's basically just... I mean, it's it, it's not a great performance. It's just him doing a bunch of different impersonations and being really, like, shticky and, and, and hacky and stuff like that. And uh, he explains that, at like, once he was unthawed at night... He would come out and uh, watch uh, like Netflix and TV and stuff like that in the um, in the ups, ups you know the uh, the actual A to Z place while everyone was gone and that's where he learned how to speak English and learned all his things and that's why he does all these impersonations. It's a really long labored way to allow Ralph Garman to do a bunch of impersonations, which he's good at. Um, but he says that he wanted to be a uh, an artist. He wanted to be a painter and a sculptor. And all the critics were really hard on him. So he doesn't want to be a Nazi anymore. And he doesn't want to take over the world anymore. He's uh, preparing this army to kill all the critics. First of all, you're doing a really fucking bad job because it kill, <laughs> killed some guy at the that was at the A to Z for absolutely no reason. Tried to kill these two girls. I mean, killed the Satanists, I guess. Good job there. But they're just killing a bunch of people that aren't critics in any way. But this is obviously a very thinly veiled shot at critics that don't like Kevin Smith's movies from Kevin Smith because the critics are just the worst people in the world when they point out that you've made something that's not very good. Worse than Nazis. 
So uh, it ends up that, uh, you know, the uh, the bratwurst people a- actually end up turning on uh, Ralph Garman. He gets killed by them, and then they kill the bratwurst people, and then they sing Oh Canada at the end, and then it's over. And here's the other compliment for my compliment sandwich. Uh, uh, Lily uh, Rose Depp and Harley Quinn Smith uh, both do the action scenes pretty well. They, uh, they're, it's either, it's either well choreographed or, you know, they're, they're athletic with it or whatever. Uh, that's the other compliment. This movie is absolute dog shit. I hate saying that about a Kevin Smith movie, because if you've listened to the other three parts, you understand how much we love Kevin Smith. Kevin, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but I have to say it. Everyone's got a miss every, everyone, uh, you know, you can't, you can't be good every time. This movie is terrible. <laughs> One of the worst things I've ever seen. I wonder if he wrote and directed and um, produced these movies while he was under the influence. Because this and Tusk both sound like a really long, winding, like, you know, stoner type conversation. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to explain it. The movie's not funny. It's dumb and labored and terrible. I, I don't get it. Um, you know, maybe he was in a bad place in his life. I don't know. I have high hopes. <laughs> I have high hopes for the Jay and Silent Bob reboot movie because I think the premise sounds really funny. Um, and you know, I know Kevin Smith can do a lot better than this. Um, I know it sucks when people trash something that you've you've done. I've written some books. Don't even go look for them, people listening, because you know. Uh, I mean, they're fine, but <laughs> if you want to read one, whatever, but I'm not here to push books, but I've had, uh, some, <laughs> I've had some bad reviews of, uh, of my books. So I know, I kind of know what it's like. Um, you know, and I've written some bad books in my life. Uh, so I know what it's like to, to kind of, you know, not do something as well as you're used to doing it and you know how bad it feels. So I'm sorry, Kevin, but it's, oh God, it's so bad. I think I know what your biggest problem with this movie is. Uh, they put the Nazis in a bad light because we know how you feel with those guys. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's that's it. That's it. Oh, oh hail. Yeah, this movie is... Hail I'm Hitler. surprised you suck it out through the end. This movie is literally unwatchable. It was It was all for you listeners that, that, I, that I watched this movie. It was so painful. But that is Yoga Hosers. Don't watch it. Before we go tonight, um, I know, you know, we've we've been running for a while. I don't want this to be a hugely long episode. But before we go tonight, I would be remiss if we didn't talk for at least an hour. About, we could talk for a long time about Clerks the Animated Series. And I guess that's probably going to be the best way to, uh, to end this. Because um, moving away from... The horror that is Yoga Hosers. Clerks the Animated Series might be one of my favorite shows that has ever existed. <laughs> yeah, this, I think I actually found it on Netflix. I could be wrong. Like I, It was on TV very briefly. I don't even know if the whole season was... It was definitely not um, broadcast in order, but I don't know if the whole season was broadcast. You introduced me to it. Yeah, and this this the whole series is a gem. Every part of it, I could, I, I wish that had gone on as long as the uh, Simpsons. Absolutely, well, maybe not that long, right? But yeah, if you, like a five se- five seasons of Clerks animated series would have been wonderful. 
it, it's so i mean i don't even know where to start there it's it's eminently quotable there uh it is hilarious um putting these guys in a cartoon setting um and having them go through like cartoon type things it's just it's it's the perfect marriage the 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 you know because basically for anyone that hasn't seen it it stars dante and randall or it stars Don, dante and handle <laughs> i said it's, is, is it handle i don't remember no that. no it stars dante and handle and he goes no it's that one part where leonardo comes and he's like he goes uh, for too look for too long uh you know this community has been plagued by rude and poorly trained clerks and dante or, and dante says to randall do you think he's talking about us and he goes nah and he goes nah and leonardo goes with names like dante and handel and randall goes randall <laughs> oh yeah that's right yeah I, I i haven't seen this in a while and that's really uh that's really bad on my part because i, I oh. should watch this again it's a hilarious hilarious series. it's so good i think inside he... jokes layered on top of inside jokes yep. um there's re- meta references to the series itself like at certain mm-hmm. points they say oh we need to make more star wars references because yep. obviously kevin smith is well known for that um there's a lot of amazing, uh, like voice voice work on there too. Um, you have Alec Baldwin as Leonardo. Leonardo, and he's great. He's he's basically the villain. Like he's a, a businessman that uh, that comes to the town of Leonardo, New Jersey, and his name also happens. His name is Leonardo. Leonardo, the town was named after his ancestors. And he has his sidekick is a uh, an android. Isn't he voiced by Stephen Colbert? No, I, I'm. Let me look up who voices that. Um, but he's very um, good too. Yeah, there's a uh, great cameos. Um, both uh, Scott Thompson and uh, Mark McKinney. Yep. Yeah, from Kids in the Hall, and I think uh, actually uh, one of my favorite Kids in the Hall is. Um, geez, this is bad. Uh, Kevin uh, is also in there. At certain Kevin McDonald. Yeah, Kevin McDonald. Yep. I don't think they had. I don't think they had all five of them, unfortunately, but. I would love to see Bruce and uh, Dave in there as well, but I just don't think they made the, they were in there for some reason. Walter White himself cameos uh, in in this uh, series too. Oh, I didn't even realize he was in there. Brian Cranston, yep. the great Cranston. Yeah, Brian Cranston. There's a there's a uh, episode where there's pilots that are going to uh, come to bomb the town for uh, because there's been an outbreak of infectious disease. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good one. And he plays one of the pilots. Yeah, the, the very first episode is a flashback episode, which is hilarious. But I actually it's the think second it was an episode. accident. Oh, it was a second. Okay, was, wasn't that actually not broadcast in order though? Yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't broadcast in order. But it was a hilarious idea to have the second episode of your series be be a flashback episode. They start naming things, and it's like Dante's like, "Yeah, I remember that. That happened last week." And then, yeah, yeah. and then Randall says something else. He's like, "That was also last week." And then I think they do like the, uh, the, the you know, the Rochamon type thing where they change like how it happened. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's yep. there's a bunch of running gags like that. You see them like what appears to be climbing like a grappling hook, but they're just walking normally. And they're like, why are we walking? <laughs> yeah, this makes no sense, but it's hilarious. Yeah, there there's so many. It's just and every episode ended with um Charles Barkley uh doing a like uh sort of like a, a the more you know thing or if you grew yeah. up in the 80s with the uh 
the GI Joe and stuff at the, at the end, they'd, they'd give some advice for kids and stuff like that. It's like the more, you know, you know, and, and it was like that. <laughs> yeah. A couple of them, like had James and Bob at the end. The, the funniest was that they perform a magic trick. Mm-hmm. And I think it was actually the cups and balls. Wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. And then so halfway through the trick, uh, you realize that they're just sacrificing children's souls to Satan to make a ball disappear. Oh, man. But it, yeah, it it was a great show. It was hilarious. I think you can find it on YouTube. It might be on Netflix, too. But I th- I'm pretty sure it's free on YouTube. And I'm pretty sure Kevin Smith does not care that it's free on YouTube. Well, good, because that's an amazing series. There's also, I think they did a sequel that, I think it was like a movie, the animated series, a movie that like Kevin Smith and um, Jay, um, yeah, I don't remember the name right now. Which one, Jay uh, Muse? Jason Muse? Yeah, Jason Muse toured around the country. Yeah. And, um, I don't and, know if you can find that anywhere. I, I would love to see that. I haven't seen that yet. I don't know if you can find it either because I don't think that they ever, um, that they ever um, released it. I'm not sure. I think it's called Clerk Sellout. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Or it's not Keep Clerking, is it? No, I think I think keep clerking was a joke in the actual show, but I, I, I'm almost ah, positive it's called Clerks uh, Sellout. I don't know yeah, if the, they're ever going to release that right. or not, but yeah, I mean, one of the, the my favorite episodes, and it's like infinitely quotable. Is uh, I don't remember the entire premise, but at the end, there's a trial. <laughs> yeah, it's the one where um, it's the one where Jay slips on uh, like some soda or something like that in that uh, Randall spilled in the. Um, in the store and Randall c- convinces him without really trying to sue Dante and the store for $10 million. Yeah, that's right. And, and judge the, Reinhold plays yeah, the judge. Plays the judge. And he, he, he's like, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I get it. It's funny. Like in, inside the show itself, he's like, Oh, judge Reinhold. Eh. Yep. And then that, that that just the trial right before they announce the uh, verdict, it's just interrupted, just goes completely off the rails. It's mm-hmm. it's just like, and the, the commentary for that is great too. Oh yeah, the yeah the commentary because we had the DVD or I did or you did or both of us did. Yeah, I, I think don't know. I think I did. Yeah, and they talk about how like the Korean animators and like the whole like mm-hmm. uh, sequence is like involves them going to a Korean animation studio and just like. That episode alone is just wow. It's it's a masterpiece. Listen to the these ideas for uh, plots for episodes that they never got to make. Okay, because I think there's only six episodes of this show, if I remember correctly. Um, there's not enough. That's how no, many there are. Yeah, not not nearly. Randall exploits Jay by making Snoogans a catchphrase, <laughs> <laughs> leading to Jay becoming a recording artist. <laughs> nice. Randall buys Kit from Knight Rider at a used car lot, <laughs> and then oh, the car that's... becomes envious of Randall's relationship with Dante and attempts <laughs> to kill Dante and impersonate <laughs> him at the store, <laughs> which is a reference to single white female. It is just hilarious things that could not be done outside of animation, and they just took two great characters to start with and just took them to the complete limit of where you can go with them. And that's that's the great thing about this being animated because it really freed up Kevin Smith's creativity and just like wacky, crazy stuff that they could do with these characters. And it is hilarious. Yeah, it, it, you know, actually that might be in my top five as well. If you consider it as a whole, the animated series is just like, and again, it's something that you're not really re- rewarded for if you're not already a big fan of Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, if you are, it's like it's like gold. Every episode is amazing. Yeah, and I think I think this is one that you can really enjoy, even if you're not like a huge fan of like you don't have to do a lot of deep dives like like Mike and I have done. Um, if you if you even sort of know these characters, it's you know I I got my wife uh, like I well, I had her watch the first episode of it because um, she was like oh you know this doesn't interest me or whatever she she likes Kevin Smith too. But she's like, oh, you know, this this kind of thing doesn't really interest me that much. But we watched the first episode, and she was like, that was really funny. <laughs> and I said, that's not even the best episode. But uh, yeah, uh, if you have not seen Clerks the Animated Series, find Clerks the Animated Series and watch it. And then send in, um, you know, if, if you're listening to this on YouTube, make uh, you know make a comment of your, your favorite uh, line from it. Email it to us. I love talking to people about Clerks the Animated Series. It's one of my favorite things. I think I know your favorite line, and I believe it's my favorite line as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, would it have to be uh, bears talking? How can this be? <laughs> it's so hard to choose. I, I like that line too. I also like the uh, the Korean animators thing where he's like, uh, "Work, work, everybody, work. We are slaves." <laughs> and another another thing is, oh, it's just an expression, yeah, a robot expression. That's right. Oh God! Yeah, there's so many great quotes from this show. It, it was, it was, it's funnier than The Simpsons is now. Um, I don't like it'd be hard to put it up uh, with The Simpsons as prime time. But you know what? What ended up replacing it was Family Guy, and um, and I like uh, some of Family Guy, not all of it, but I, I like some of it. And you know, Seth MacFarlane is is fine. I like I like some of I like a lot of his work. Um, this is way funnier than Family Guy ever. It was was it the was it the revision of Family Guy that replaced it? Because there's references to Family Guy in Clerks animated series. I think it was yeah. I think it was like the well they. I think at first they aired together, and then Family Guy took over their time slot. I think that's how it worked. Uh, this is going to shock a lot of people, but uh, Kevin Smith uh, does not uh, care for uh, Seth MacFarlane. He had a beef with someone, and at one point, there's like they're talking about like animation. Like, oh, I'm a big stupid animator, and the book he's reading is How to Animate by Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and even like I'm mean, one of the commentaries they go into a, a little bit too. Um, you know, I just realized I realized this entire episode is a compliment sandwich. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Talk about how you like Kev, uh, Kevin Smith. Just shit on like three or four of his movies. And then, hey, Clerks Animated Series. Yep. Oh, but that is going to do it for us tonight. We have completed the films of Kevin Smith. Next week, I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do yet, but it will be something fun and funny. Uh, so definitely come back for that. Uh, Next week, Dabney Coleman, a perspective. Oh, God. Yeah, let's look at all the films of Dabney Coleman, 9 to 5. Actually, that's not a bad choice. Um, I like uh, we're going to definitely highlight Drexler's class. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we could do the, we could do a deep dive into Dabney Coleman movies. Anyway, um, you know, uh, yeah, just come back next week and, and we'll figure out what we're going to do. Uh, we'll probably figure it out about a day before we record this. Possibly out of there. But uh, anyway, if uh, if you want to help the show out, uh, you could visit our Patreon. Uh, I think it's Patreon slash MassiveLateFee.com, or you can just look up MassiveLateFee Patreon. I'll also link it below. 
as I always do, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, chucking a buck there or, uh, whatever, um, you know, you can afford. We, uh, we would be grateful. Uh, want to thank, uh, Jason for the, uh, theme. We want to thank, uh, Miranda and Leah, our patrons. Um, you can write to us if you have suggestions for what you want to hear on the show. If you have, did you mention the uh, big contest? Yeah. Yeah, I mentioned that at the beginning oh. <laughs> when we when we started seemingly days ago. <laughs> I mentioned. It. Yeah, I think yoga hosers would have ate me a little bit just the uh, description. Of it. I will mention it again though, but uh, yeah, we're having a uh, we're having a hundred dollar giveaway uh, that we will announce that winner on the air um, the week of January tenth. January tenth is when it ends. Uh, you can go on uh, at Massive Late Fee on Twitter and find out information on that. Uh, you can also visit us on Facebook. There's also stuff on Facebook uh, about the contest. Massive Late Fee on Facebook. You can email us, uh, massivelatefee at gmail.com. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you could give us a rating, uh, subscribe to the podcast, all that stuff really helps us out. We definitely appreciate, uh, you know, all you listeners out there. Um, and I think that's, I think I am emotionally exhausted. I think that's about all I've got. You got anything else, Mike? Uh, no, but I'm going to go, uh, I think I'm going to go watch Yoga Hosers now. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry the Nazis don't fare the way you wanted them to. <laughs> yeah, enjoy it. It's one of the saddest movies of the year because uh, the Nazis fail again in the end. <laughs> all I want is blonde hair, blue eyed people. <laughs> oh wow! I can't wait to edit this later. <laughs> All right, we'll talk. We'll uh, uh, yeah, we'll see you next week, everybody. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. See you later, you yoga hosers. <laughs>